Okay, please open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, and this will be broadcast number 30, which will be week number 30, which will give us around 15 hours of material thus far. And for today, let's start in Revelation chapter 17. Take a look at verse 1, please. And there came one of the seven angels, which are the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, come here. I will show you the judgment of the great hall that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of a fornication. Much material here. By chapter 17, we are very much at the end of the book of Revelation, and most of Revelation uh, by now has covered the uh, second coming from four different angles and there are many strands to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and like I've been saying over the last 30 weeks a lot of this material has been crossing over each other to say but here you got the great hall pictured as sitting on many waters picturing peoples nations backgrounds so on so forth with whom the kings of the earth, the leaders, have committed fornication, and it goes on to say, have been made drunk with the wine of a fornication. Of course, literal wine can intoxicate you. And yes, there was wine tied in with the mass, literal wine. But fornication can also be in reference to spiritual fornication. I won't rule out physical fornication, but when I watch the news and I see VIPs flying to Rome to meet the pontiff and to receive a blessing, and a briefing, they are very much in awe of the papacy. And it seems to me that since the Second Vatican Council, the papacy has become more accessible, more relevant. Back in the 1920s and 30s, most Catholics around the world didn't really see the pontiff very much. He wouldn't travel very far. Television, of course, wasn't around then. There may be the occasional newsreel, but now pretty much everyone around the world Knows what the, uh, knows what the Pope looks like and what he stands for. Look at verse 3, please. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-coloured beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. This is the third time that John has been transported around, and here John has been shown a woman sitting upon a scarlet-coloured beast. Not a literal woman, but a woman representing a church, like Holy Mother Church. And this woman is sitting upon a scarlet-coloured beast, Antichrist, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. To call the Pope of Rome Holy Father is pretty wicked. To consider the Pope to be a successor of the Apostles is pretty wicked. To go through a Pope, or a Bishop, or a Priest, in order to receive everlasting life, is an abomination. Like I've been saying before, and I'll say it again very briefly now, that salvation is found in Christ, not church, any church. Verse 4. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in a hand full of abominations and filthiness of a fornication. Upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. When you read about the term mystery in scripture, it simply is in reference to something 
which previously wasn't revealed. The church is a mystery. The incarnation was a mystery. Satan manifests in the flesh is going to be a mystery. And here, this mystery is picturing a state church, picturing an organization, an enterprise, a system which would blow John away. He was raised, of course, in pagan Rome, and here he has been shown papal Rome. And he's shocked. He's shocked to see this institution, which is covering the entire globe, an absolute monstrosity, and doing what it does in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The woman, of course, is decked in purple and scarlet colour and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls as well. Picturing her beauty, picturing her wealth. And much of her wealth was taken by land grabs. They would go out to fight battles, the Catholic Church that is, and their Pope would go with them and he would be their general and emperor. And he would lead his armies into battle. They would kill people and take their lands. There was a figure that uh, came out some years ago concern the wealth of the Church of England in the UK and the estimate was that the Church of England was worth over five billion pounds concerning land and much of the UK is still owned by the Catholic Church as well as the Anglican Church I should also uh, clarify but these churches have been around for a long time they've been able to conquer the people conquer the land so when you come into a town like Oxford for example you see a lot of buildings the chances are some of those buildings are owned by the Church of England or the Church of Rome because they've had many decades, many centuries to conquer the people and take their land. Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth, Holy Mother Church. The Catholics believe they are the leaders of the ecumenical movement and they not only believe so, they teach so. And all these churches in the UK, like 95, 96%, are in bondage to Rome. It's very rare to meet Christians that speak out against Catholicism. In fact, just yesterday, these three chaps walked over to me and they said to me, uh, we like your banner. We like the idea that you are ex-Catholic, no longer in that system. And we believe that Mystery Babylon is Rome. And it turned out they were Methodists, conservative Methodists. And they told me that they hold to the 39 Articles of Faith, which, of course, came from the Church of England, John Wesley was an Anglican, and when he got saved, he set up his own movement, referred to as a Methodist movement. He took a lot of the Anglican material, belief systems, so on, so on and so forth, into the Methodist church. So it's somewhat unusual to meet some conservative Methodists. Haven't met many in the past. Most Methodists are liberals. Most Methodists are apostate. They told me they were on the uh, conservative wing, as I say, and on the Calvinist wing. But when I asked them, are you born again?, they got a little uh, uncertain in their answers, I should say, unclear as to whether or not they were born again. Some people don't like to speak about being born again. But of course, if you're not born again, you're not saved. Look at verse 6, please. I saw the woman drunk in with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. He's not admiring her. He's probably shocked at what he's seen. This woman, this church system is drunken with the blood of the saints. This woman is responsible for the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Rome persecuted and killed all of the apostles of the Lord, excluding John, of course. Rome would persecute and murder many Christians up until uh, probably Constantine the Great, and perhaps slightly beyond. From the 4th century right up until 
the 19th century. You had the Crusades, Inquisition. You had people being persecuted. When uh, Augustine came to Britain in the 4th century, he put down people. He wanted Catholicism, not Christianity. So when I hear people saying, well, Babylon, from this piece of scripture, is in reference to Iraq, it's problematic. When people say that Babylon, from this piece of scripture, is in reference to America, it's problematic. When people say Babylon, in this piece of scripture, is in reference to Jerusalem, it's problematic. Babylon, from Revelation 17 and 18, has got to be in reference to Rome, papal Rome. And when I saw her, this church system, masquerading as a legitimate church, I wondered with great admiration, puzzled, trying to grasp what this thing was, this institution, which would be worldwide. And of course, what John is being shown back in the first century is quite likely to be a vision of the 21st century or beyond. I think it's fair to say that we believe, those of us around this table this morning, that we are living in the last days and that the rapture could be imminent. And therefore, if the rapture is imminent, the system in place from chapter 17 will need to be up and running to kick in the minute we are removed from the earth. Verse 7. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman, and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath seven heads and ten horns. The beast comes up, and we, uh, we read about him back in chapter 13, and he was also mentioned from chapter 11. The beast and the Antichrist, uh, the beast and the false prophet, uh, the image of the beast, work hand in hand. And that's why when you think about futurism, when you think about historicalism, or you take the Calvinist roots, a millennialism, and then you read these pieces of scriptures to try and process all these beliefs and systems, it cause you to overload sometimes. The Antichrist, the false prophet, and the image of the beast all arrive after the church has been raptured. But here is a mystery to John. Here, he hasn't seen this before. He knew that pagan Rome was anti-God. Pagan Rome would hold to the worship of many gods. So he's trying to digest this picture here, this vision of papal Rome. Verse 8. The beast that I saw was and is not... I shall ascend out to the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. So the beast, the Antichrist, will be taken, thrown alive into the lake of fire, will burn for a thousand years, but won't burn up. If you go to hell, you don't get out. After a thousand years of burning in hell, the Antichrist is, I won't say resurrected because he never died, but he's brought out of hell to gather the nations to march against Jerusalem. But apart from him, no one else comes out of hell to do anything. Sure, there'll be the resurrection, referred to as the great white throne, found later in Revelation. But here the beast, the Antichrist, that thou sawest was and is not, until I send out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And that part of eight, and they that dwell on the earth shall wander, whose name's not written in the book of life, from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not, and yet is. Those that were never saved to begin with, those that take the mark of the beast, those that believe that the beast, being the Antichrist, was the Christ, and for them there's no redemption. And like I say, once you take the mark of the beast, off to hell you go. If you speak to dispensationalists, they would have you believe that Judas will be resurrected, and he'll come to the earth, 
as the Antichrist to deceive the nations. That doesn't sit particularly well with me. Judas is a nondescript man, mentioned a handful of times in the Gospels, and from memory he only speaks once in the Gospels. Of course, at the same time, you have to watch those that are quiet, understand that. But I think it's more likely that the spirit that took over Judas Iscariot, the devil which ended him, is more likely to return and take over the Antichrist during the tribulation. Look at verse 9, please. And here is a mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Rome has mountains. Rome is very much sitting on waters, picturing her worldwide dominion. She's able to control the nations. And people say, but Rome isn't as powerful as she once was. Well, don't be so quick to come to that conclusion. Yes, it's true that churches, congregations are down around the world. That's true. But go back to what I just said. Rome owns a lot of land. Rome has their own bank, like the Vatican Bank. Governments run to Rome to brief the Pope and to get a blessing from the Pope. So it may appear on the surface that numbers are down in certain parts of the West. And in our town, several churches are closing. And one is a Catholic church, praise the Lord. But they still own land. They still are in the business of making money. They are very political. So don't be too quick to uh, underestimate the Catholic Church. Verse 10. And there are seven kings... Five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. Now these kings are probably a throwback to the Old Testament, like Nebuchadnezzar, like perhaps Alexander the Great, the Assyrians. Pagan Rome going into paper Rome. There's going to be a break referred to as a church age. And once a church age has ended, referred to as the rapture, and the Lord goes back to the nations. From chapters 18 and 19... The Lord is dealing primarily with the nations, like he was back in the Old Testament. As far as the Lord is concerned, there's unfinished business. We are saved because the Jews would reject the Messiah. We get grafted in because they would reject him. So this period called the Church Age, which is just a blip in eternity, could be 2,000 years, could be 2,500 years, we don't know when the rapture is going to come, is a tiny period of time as far as the Lord is concerned. But at a time of his choosing... He will go back to dealing with the nations. Seven kings, five are fallen. Go back to the Old Testament. And one is, and the other is not yet come. When he cometh, he must continue a short space. So around this time, you've got pagan Rome, like I say, dominating the world. John could see it. John was experiencing it on a daily basis. But the final king, the final world ruler will be the Antichrist. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. The longest he can rule on the earth will be seven years. And like I say, a lot of revelation overlaps. There are many strands to revelation. I think from memory there are four endings in this one book. The four gospels written by four authors describe the Lord's first coming. John as one man writing one book will describe the Lord's return in four different ways. That's referred to as parenthesis. Look at verse 11, please. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. He dies, perhaps he's resurrected. He receives some kind of a wound, found back in chapter, uh, I think it's 13 from memory. And that causes the world to go hysterical, to go crazy. This man is amazing. Never mind these magicians today that can walk on the water, like in London, and I've seen one magician walking on the River Thames, 
Looks very clever, very well done. Probably lights and uh, mirrors are used and trip photography. But if you just come across that clip by chance, you think to yourself, how's he doing that? How's he walking on the water? There was one magician back in the 1980s that was able to do a great show in Las Vegas and watch it on television. And he was able to uh, make a tank disappear. He was able to make an elephant disappear. He was able to make a pyramid disappear. And you think, how does he do that? And it's probably down to mirrors, trick photography. On top of that, the occult is no doubt connected to such trickery. People like to be entertained. Twelve. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but received power as kings one hour with the beast. Ten kings, ten rulers, ten horns, ten presidents, ten prime ministers. Now, at the moment, we are still in the church age, at the moment, you've got the permanent five security members of the United Nations, the big five, Britain, America, France, Russia, and China. Britain, America, France, Russia, China, the big five. They've got nuclear weapons. You've got the G8, which is uh, changed to the G7 because Russia was expelled. You've got the G20, which would include the Arab states, and some Central and South American states, and some European states. But at present, there aren't ten nations that govern the world as such. Five at the most. But during the tribulation, everything is going to change. The cities, which we looked at last week, uh, fall from 1619. Babylon comes into remembrance. But the great city, being Jerusalem, is divided into three parts. Go back to World War Two. Think about what happened when the Allies and Russia carved up Germany. The uh, Allies had the West and the Russians had the East. So in the Tribulation, by this stage, at the end of the Tribulation, the Earth is much smaller. Nations have fallen. Cities have just disappeared. Islands have fled away. And ten kings will arise. And they will do a deal with the Antichrist. But... It will only last for an hour. Not 60 literal minutes. This term, hour, has to be figurative. Could be for the last three and a half years of the tribulation. Like I say, much of this book overlaps. And yes, you can read it in a chronological order. But it's best to understand that, as I say, it's going to be ending or it's going to, be given, it's going to give us an account of the Lord's return from four different aspects. 13. These have one mind. And to give their power and strength unto the beast. They are completely united. Now at the moment nations are not united. At the moment nations are very much working on their own. Doing their own thing. Having their own agendas. It's very rare to find nations working as groups. Even treaties which get signed are quickly broken. Back in the uh, 1930s. Russia and uh, Germany signed a treaty. Which called for... No aggression from either side. And of course by 1939, Germany started to invade Europe. And afterwards, they turned to Russia and Operation Barbarossa commenced. And the German tanks, the high command, the Third Reich, reached 17 miles out of the gates of Moscow. Treaties were broken. People reneged on their deals like the Balfour Declaration. People's words mean nothing. But here, these have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. They're going to surrender to the beast. They're going to say, you know what, we're in a bad state. The 
world's economies are broken. We've had plagues. We've had millions, if not billions, wiped out. It speaks about uh, taking six months to bury the dead back in the book of Ezekiel. So please, Mr. Antichrist, make peace. Intercede for us. Do what you can to help us out. We're in a bad way. 14. They shall make war with the Lamb. And the Lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. It's clearly in reference to them and us. The church is a picture of a bride in scripture. We are the called out people. We are the separated people. And that's why it's so important not to be yoked up with unsaved people. These kings, these leaders, along with the Antichrist, will attempt to make war with the Lamb, being Christ and the Lamb. Christ shall overcome them, just obliterate them. For he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. That's us. Now we are raptured, Revelation chapter 4. We have the judgment seats, perhaps the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we come back with him, chapter 19. So here you've got the called, the chosen and the faithful. It makes no sense to hold to a post tribulation rapture because if you hold to a post tribulation rapture how does this work the church goes to the tribulation is cut down is raptured and it comes back with the law straight away no i don't think so the church is raptured the law deals with the nations and then he comes back at the end of the tribulation with the church and off we go into the promised land 15 and he saith unto me the waters which thou sawest where the horse sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues Rome, of course. Rome is a very diverse city. Yes, it's a very small city, especially Vatican City. But you've got cardinals from all over the world there. You've got bishops from all over the world there. You've got nuns, Catholics that travel from all over the world to pay homage to the Vatican. And waters again, picturing Rome. 16. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, they shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. Once they've had all they can get from her, once they've used her and abused her, like a harlot, like a prostitute, they completely discard her. They'll make her desolate, naked, and eat her flesh and burn her with fire. And that's what we tell Catholics to get out of Catholicism. Catholics, at the level of uh, laity, or at a basic level of the clergy, are victims, for the most part, of their system. Born into that system, are very ignorant about their system, and yet, if they don't get out, they're going to be consumed. But of course, the older you get, the harder it is to come out of such a system. The older you get, the more set in your ways you are. Ten horns, ten kings, which thou sawest upon the beast. A crude description. These shall hate the whore, hate the Catholic Church. These ten leaders that will appear in the tribulation will hate the whore, hate Rome. And shall make her desolate and naked. You see, at the moment, Rome can only do so much. At the moment, Rome doesn't have her own armies, doesn't have her own air force, doesn't have her own navy. At the moment, Rome is very dependent on the nations. In fact, I saw a newsreel uh, a few days ago of an American actor going to Rome to visit this current Jesuit Pope, and he gave him an offering, gave him a check, and his eyes lit up like Christmas had come early. Strange piece of material to look at. But before that, this Hollywood actor had spent 10 minutes discussing his childhood with the Pope, showing him uh, a book of cartoons and showing him 
subjects of interest to him like the third world debt and the Amazon rainforest and the Pope was completely disinterested. Eyes everywhere, you know, not interested. What time is it? What time's lunch? And the moment it came to an end, well, here you are, Holy Father, and he gets his wallet out and hands over some money to him. The eyes come out of his head like a cartoon character because, you see, when you go to Rome, you take an offering, and I'm talking thousands of dollars, thousands of pounds, and that's why these people visit the, the, uh, the papacy, and that's why the papacy wants to have such people visit them. They're not interested in cartoon books or this guy's... Uh, Childhood memories, or this or that. Give me the money, or as one Hollywood film uh, would say, show me the money. But anyway, that's another subject for another day. So these ten horns, these ten kings, these ten leaders are going to hate the whore. They're going to turn against her, because again, she has no power of her own. She is like a leech. She's a parasite. She takes, but never gives. And she sucks you dry. Terrible. On top of that, they're going to eat her flesh and burn her with fire. You think of the Mass, you think of the Eucharist, you think of Catholics genuflecting when the priest holds up the Eucharist or he holds up the wafer and they believe that the wafer has become the literal body of our blessed Saviour and the wine, and I mean wine, not juice. Christ wouldn't drink wine per se during the breaking of the bread. He would drink juice like we will do shortly. Becomes a blood of Christ, which is ridiculous, not to mention an abomination, and if that were the case, they would be cannibals, which is just too much to even contemplate. Their system will be turned right on its head. 17. For God had put it in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast, and to the words of God shall be fulfilled. So God will put it into their hearts to do his will. You've got unsaved people, children of Satan, perhaps filled with unclean spirits and God will put it upon their hearts to do what they are going to do like Balaam back in the Old Testament he will take wicked people he will use their hatred their desire and here it's going to be in reference to killing the Catholic Church the papacy to do his own will until the words of God shall be fulfilled 18 in our close and the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth City, not a nation. Even at the moment, Vatican City is just that, a city. And at the moment, Vatican City rules over the kings of the earth. The Catholic Church have nuncios, like ambassadors, all over the world, or apostolic delegates. And those people are very powerful. When the Pope came to Britain in 2010, and I'm thinking about uh, Ratzinger, he stayed in Wimbledon, and he stayed at the... Not the Nuncio's office, because Britain's not a Catholic country, but he stayed at the uh, Vatican's Absolute Delegates residence, a large place, a very nice place, and it cost the British taxpayer £10 million for security, for screenings, for this and for that. And we're not a Catholic country. In America, you've got the Jesuits very much involved with the new American administration. In parts of Europe and around the world, they are very busy so don't think just because your local Catholic church is down to maybe two or three dozen people that somehow Rome is on the decline. Don't think that at all. They're very powerful. they got nuncios, absolute delegates all over the world. They've got cardinals, archbishops, and they are very well briefed. In fact, I remember reading a book which came out in the early 1980s and it spoke about the CIA station chief in Rome who's duty it was to brief the Pope every day. Now what's going on here? 
an American CIA station chief working for the American government back in the 1980s, taking time out of his busy day to brief the Pope of Rome. What's going on here? Who's calling the shots? And the woman which thou sawest is that great city, Papal Rome. And here this woman which thou sawest, modern day Catholicism, modern day Rome, is that great city, Rome of course, which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Now at the moment, more in a spiritual way, more in a financial way, but during the tribulation, in a physical way. During the tribulation, no doubt armies will be under her command. And off she goes to conquer the people, going back to the dark ages, killing people and putting such people into bondage. I'll close it there and perhaps return next week to add some more material to these 18 verses. Otherwise, we'll move on to chapter 18.